Here at the Republic of Bad Cryptopia, we cover a variety of topics that include a variety of opinions. Some of our guests like to talk about Bitcoin, some talk about DeFi, some talk about NFTs, and every now and then we have a guest that can talk about every topic under the sun. Today, we welcome Christian Kamir back to the show to do a whole lot of talking on a whole lot of topics. It makes for a whole lot of interesting listening. So come on along and listen in to episode number 529 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Come here! 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, ignition. Who's bad? I don't know why I read the teaser sir lord travis right i guess i'm just feeling like it was time to bring out the radio voice <laughs> I, I hear this guy's name christian Kamir, and I, I i got i get that mortal combat vibe get over here finish like, him yeah. <laughs> well you this get the a, feeling this is a fun interview today you get the feeling that this guy could finish somebody off i mean he is extremely passionate has many words super smart um a lot of thoughts that are uh, should we say a little controversial, which is great because this show does not shy away from the controversies. Yeah, it's so controversial. You guys are talking about topics that hurt my feelings. We also don't shy away from our sponsors at Electronium and any task. If you want to get something done, especially if you want to get some design done if you want to create some nfts if you need an artiste check out anytask.com get some stuff done today hey you get to pay them in fiat but the um the designer or whoever you hire gets paid in electronium so they're getting paid in crypto it's pretty cool it is if you need design work done do it at any task and it'll be fun yeah if you need design work done It'll be fun at Electronium. So you have finally made it back to Puerto Rico, and uh, we are both now on the island. We'll talk about that more after this interview. Let's get to our piece with Christian. Come here. Come here. Get over here, Christian. Well, if you've been listening to the show since uh, 2018, you may recall our guest today. This is his second appearance on the show. It was October of 2018 that Christian Kamir, managing partner at Sustany Capital, Capital, was with us. We talked a lot about DAOs because he's down with the DAOs. It was badcode.in forward slash 194. And I had the pleasure of being on a panel with Christian at an online event that CrowdCreate put on last week. And I think that he is even more opinionated now than he was two years ago, almost three years ago. And I said, you got to come back on the show and just bleh, all these opinions out because people need to hear what you have to say and decide for themselves uh, if you are brilliant or insane. So Christian, welcome back to Bed Crypto. Well, good to meet you again. Always good talking to you. Could be that you're brilliantly insane. Could be both. Yeah, We'll, we'll find out. I mean, at the end of the day, um, my, my approach to, to sharing my thoughts has always been that of peer review. If I'm wrong on something, I want to know sooner than later in a good way 
uh, of finding out is just to share it with a lot of people so that I can hopefully make better mistakes tomorrow. Right? That's that's the only thought behind it, really. It might be crazy because you went to the Munster School of Law, so you're, you're you got trained by monsters. Yeah. So so mainly I wrap that up in a little intro so people know kind of where where I'm coming from. Yeah. So. Um, I actually was a software developer for a brief period of time in the 80s, but then intermittently went to uh, literature school and studied linguistics, got a degree in classical literature, and afterwards went to law school, and after law school joined one of the first internet service providers. So we were selling dial-up services. I was before the 56K modem, and eventually we built this company up to be one of the largest internet service provider in Europe before we sold it to what's now the largest internet service provider in Europe, Descali, at the height of the dot-com. So I promptly retired from the law after being a lawyer for a very brief period of time and also then moved to California and I was living at, in Germany at the time. You can probably tell that's where the accent is from. What so, accent? We, we do not hear any accent. So what are you talking yeah. about with the accent? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't feel I, one I, at all either. I don't know. Oh, I feel I feel the same. I'm, I always say I'm the, like everybody around me has an accent. I don't. Yeah. Um, but a- anyway, so um, when I moved here in in 2000, so 21 years ago, um, we first set up a venture fund which was focused on multi-massive online player games and um, voice of IP solutions. So that has a lot in common of the topics we we focus on to today, which mm-hmm. is most people call the blockchain space. I'm, I'm being a little more nuanced about the vocabulary in that space. I'm kind of a um, very specific in that in that sense. Well, uh, I, 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 w- I want to start there because sure. there's something you wrote about um, on your article on Hacker Noon that really stands out to me. In spite of all of the talks about regulation, in spite of all of the ups and downs of Bitcoin and crypto, this statement that you make really goes to the core of what our future looks like. You say technology cannot be uninvented. There's no way to stop this train, is there? Right. Right. And I'm pretty sure I didn't invent that statement. I'm just using it. But um, yeah, yeah, that's really where I'm coming from. And that that kind of combines like the two things that I've been exposed to in my life. So at heart, I'm a technologist, but I'm also a trained quote unquote lawyer. So I kind of understand the language that is law. But then also I acknowledge the fact that court is law. Right. So and uh, yeah, I come at this from the perspective that actually the technology will will drive the law, and you you can make a lot of interesting like anecdotes and simply observe this. Like we like to use the scientific method to investing, and like to use the scientific method as much as I can to educate my thinking. So rather than like coming up um, with like things out of um, empty space, I like to observe things that existed or exist right now kind of take a snapshot of what is right now but if you look back in history we had like nonsense laws that require people to walk in front of a car waving a red flag to warn the approaching of the car that was the law here in in i want to say in illinois i might be wrong about the state but for like two years and and obviously we, we don't have that nonsense law anymore or then in Mexico, Mexico specifically, there was a law, I think, for about a decade that outlawed voice of IP. Needless to say, people still use voice of IP because the alternative was to either not call their relative in another country and or being metered by the minute, which they didn't want to be metered by. And so people kept using it just like initially 
um, the uh, music industry tried to outlaw peer-to-peer file sharing. And so uh, you and I were probably all using Kazaa at one point in time. And then eventually Kazaa kind of morphed in, into uh, Skype, for example. Anyway, so the, the larger point there being is uh, technology in many ways works like evolution in my head, as in, in a primary law and evolution set of uh, the law of prerequisite uh, re- a prerequisite variety, which is the principle that the most flexible, the most adaptable will win, which kind of builds on uh, th- that original idea from Darwin, right? So that the it's actually not um, uh, it's the most adaptable that that actually gets to survive, and so that's what technology and there specifically open source technology is. It, it rapidly adapts, right? But if you go all the way back to like kind of the, the first implementations of open source technology, they, they all date back to uh, IBM trying to sell a web server, right? And then uh, it was just too buggy, and a lot of people started contributing code and started to patch that code, which is the origin of the word Apache, right? So the Apache web server, uh, that's why it's called um, Apache because people started patching that code. And so now obviously no one's paying for a web server. So IBM was unsuccessful in doing that. Um, But then moving fast forward, if you look at things like decentralized software solution, blockchains being kind of the most visible one, it follows the same principle, right? So, So you can try to regulate it, but then also that's semantically always wrong because you don't regulate um, software, right? You regulate people and you regulate people within your arm of influence. So that might be your territory or something else, but you can't really regulate technology at the core. That's just a semantic conflation of different disciplines and levels. And that that's happens quite frequently. And uh, technologists make the same mistake. And that's kind of the most annoying things uh, that we see as technology investors that like specifically lawyers explain the letter of the law to technologists rather than to explain to them, this is the objective that the law is trying to achieve. Anyway, I'm going to stop myself here. As you know, you can prompt me and I will talk for an hour unless you stop me. That's what we did. We started, we wound you up at the beginning, like one of those old toy oh, monkeys. And you not know, not needed not needed for me. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, and maybe to move this backwards um, to, to where, like how, how I kind of originally kind of touched on all these thoughts was, so I was running a little startup uh, between 2004 that I sold in 2008, which was kind of Yelp before Yelp. And one of the things uh, that we took away from this is uh, that Google has this overriding power, right? That's kind of the centralized, monopoly that gets to decide whether or not your pages get indexed. We had like 16.5 million pages and they decided they only index. Larger point there being, so I I started to develop some thoughts on how how to mitigate against this kind of monopoly and uh, uh, also came to the conclusion, well, we really never developed the World Wide Web. What we developed is the commercial web. Mm -hmm. And so I started a discussion group and kind of somewhat ironically started a discussion group on Facebook back then in 2008 on how to decentralize the web. And so we developed, I think uh, I can find it like 16 premises, right? And then I started to look around um, towards technologies that that would enable that. And so eventually stumbled across Bitcoin there specifically because I was using um, a lot of contractors overseas to do kind of skunkworks development and run experiments on that. And they started to ex- exceedingly ask to be paid in Bitcoin at that point in time. Yeah. I, I want to I touch base on that there because the decentralization of the web is so important now. Yeah. In 2008, I don't know that most people would have even thought of that. Like I, 
you know, Facebook was just getting rolling, right? Twitter had just started. It was the beginning of the social media era and things were looking rosy. I had my rose colored glasses on. I know Joel did as well because he wrote a couple of books about mm-hmm. Twitter and, and, and how great social media was. And I, I was, I was a hugest fan up until probably around maybe 2015. I started noticing a lot of a lot of things were happening that were bad that that yeah. you know censorship started started taking place i, I started noticing this and then, it's not uh, censorship travis they're a private company they could do whatever they want Meh. yeah and it's a, it's a slippery slope because what happens when at&t or verizon says i don't like who you're communicating with on your phone i'm a private company i can mm-hmm. ban you from using cell phones like this is a slippery slope and you discovered this in 2008 and you came up with these parameters like that where do you think that we are now as far as being able to decentralize the web? I think we got a long ways to go, but I think we're starting to make some headway. And who do you think maybe is doing it the best right now? Yeah, so we have all the primitives in principle that we need, but we need to build out the entire new stack to what people call Web 3.0. I really call it Web 1.0 because in my mind, we never developed the web. We only built the commercial web. Mm. And so from there, I think the important part to understand is that that blockchain are part of that stack, but uh, cannot deliver on the entire stack. So you got a lot of primitives that we need to recreate and you see those emerge. So, so you see decentralized DNS, which we need, right? To decentralized addressing that we need. We need to have decentralized bandwidth, decentralized storage and so forth. And developers at large are used to have a particular stack available to them. That's why the initial implementations of like decentralized storage don't really work well right now because developers are used to just using AWS, using Azure, and it comes with all those prerequisites that you don't have to think about. And obviously users don't want to think about this. That's why I still get emails today that talk about blockchain adoption. That's kind of a nonsense um, battle cry because you need to adapt your technology to the user. You don't expect the user to adapt to your technology. It's kind of backwards, right? So the best technology is that, that you don't even experience. You want to flip the switch and don't know how electricity works you just want the light to come on and that's kind of the same principle here and so we don't really have the killer applications for that yet because that stack is not developed um in on, on a broad spectrum to explain this what what we need is cryptographic primitives that are mapped under owner control so that that is the new web3 topology so what i mean by that right now um, if you want to simplify this drastically, we, we started out facilitating commercial activity just with our wetware, right? So when we were still just homo sapiens running around in the prairie, we would, we would kind of remember, hey, Joel owes me a cow or whatever it was. And then eventually- that is, cow, that, is, that is not true. Uh, I already delivered that cow to you. Yeah. And the, the, it's on the blockchain. The ledger should show it. So no, what stop, he did was stop he trying to milk three this. Sheep, three sheep instead, because we all know three sheep equals one cow. <laughs> or, or two sheep yeah. and a pig. Yeah. Right? I think that's what it is. Okay. Well, I'll, I will send you a three sheep NFT. <laughs> Anywho, uh, so the point there being, though, to again, that massively simplify that, but I think it, it makes for a good metaphor to see where this work is coming from, from a technology level. So we invented paper. Right? And then we started to record commercial activity in paper. And then in the 60s, we developed databases. That was already an improvement, but then we kind of made a rather big mistake. We attached these databases to network. 
And knowing what we know now, we wouldn't do this again because you cannot protect databases. Any CISO, any chief information security officer will tell you it's impossible to protect databases. And the most vulnerable point is always the same. The most vulnerable point is almost the almost uh, always the human being, right? So the most common uh, hacking is actually social engineering, right? So that you social engineer someone and giving you the credentials to a certain database, for example. Anyway, so the larger point there being as it's impossible to clean up this digital landfill that we call the World Wide Web today. So the only way to go about this is actually to actually reassign all, let's call it data for this particular discussion, it's, it's more complex than that, to the rightful owner. So think about things like your quote-unquote identity. What makes up your identity? Your identity is really made up by your experiences, right? You, you don't get an identity by government issuing your passport. That's just the credential that you have to access government services at the end of the day, if you want to be narrowly about it. So the point there being is, um, this information that you got issued is now copied in four to 5,000 databases and that's then supplemented. And now finally, everybody is aware of uh, these circumstances that kind of came out with the whole Cambridge Analytica debacle. But everybody's personal data is being aggregated and it's not about misusing the data. It's about using it to profile you. And the, 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 the reason for profiling you then is to target you. And at the end of the day, we, we jumped the shark a long time ago, about a decade ago, from like people selling data for advertising purposes to these companies actually offering social engineering as a service to their clients, to the actual clients, which usually we call the advertisers. But again, it's more complex because now with the voting example, we saw that uh, the data was simply used for certain groups not to vote as one example. But again, these are social engineering as a service um, conditions. So the point here being is we actually don't need any new laws. We have all the laws to protect ourselves. What we don't have is the technologies to enforce these laws. I'll make one simple example and then uh, we can move it backwards to hopefully get to a more concise discussion. But um, the, the point there is, you generally uh, speaking have freedom of speech. There's exceptions to that, right? So the, the, the most like uh, well-known exception is that if you shout fire in a crowded room, people get trampled because they're trying to go to the exit, they'll put you in prison, they'll hold you responsible, right? And, and that's a good thing, right? Because you don't want your actions to be contributing to other people, other people being hurt. The thing is, other people are being hurt right now on a minute-by-minute -minute basis Using, using the technologies that are, they are interacting with. And I can make obscure examples, but um, the, the point there being is though that we don't have the technologies and we should build those and they're, they're, they are not so hard to build actually, to actually hold these companies responsible. And I, I think I made this example with Joe the other day in that discussion, and then I really stopped myself. It's like, if you have a kid drinking bleach to, to um, kind of, um, heal himself from COVID, right? What, what, what's the likely scenario that happened to lead to this particular action, right? So a very likely scenario is he or she um, started Googling. It's like, hey, I, I feel ill and what should I do against my COVID? And then somehow ended up in an obscure channel that then got magnified by other means that led him or her to commit this particular action. So now there's very little in, a, in the way of being able to hold someone responsible for this particular individual harming him or herself. 
So the point of being those that should be possible. But um, right now, what we do is we allow these companies to aggregate all these data and provide these tools without actually holding them accountable for the externalities. And it got kind of brushed on in, the, in this recent documentary um, about Facebook and so forth. Uh, what was it? Um, I forgot the title. Right? The social no. dilemma. The social dilemma. So they brushed on that. And those were all insiders, right? So those were all people that worked at these companies, but it's actually much, much worse. So so they didn't actually drill, drill down to, to the fundamental problem because this is that you give away human agency. So that that is really that people are being tricked into doing things that they otherwise wouldn't be doing, but they don't even, even know it, right? But that, that's a tale as old as time, right? There's always been people providing bad information and bad advice even before the internet we sure. had snake oil salesmen and sure. we had you know doctors said hey we need sure. to put leeches on people and bleed them yeah. if they have certain diseases i think it's important to distinguish between hurt and harm because in today's society anything that hurts your feelings people say oh that yeah. speech hurts me personally but that's not taking personal responsibility for your own feelings and allowing yeah. that other person to say what they say whereas trampling others in, you know, in a, in a theater can right. cause them to harm. Now, what level of culpability does big tech have if they're just providing a theater for people to be able to say what they want? Right. So uh, the, the point here being is, and yes, these are uh, obviously complicated legal questions, but they're being made more complicated by us not providing the technology to actually monitor these type of behaviors, these type of influences, right? So that's what we need. Because in, in legal concepts, there's uh, are simplified massively, but so there's, you have intent, for example, right? So I have the intention to harm someone, I drive my car into it, right? And at that point in time, if this person dies, you get to go to life for prison uh, for murder, right? So if I just being uh, being careless, I'm, I'm texting and I drive over someone and that person died, well, then I might get manslaughter or something else. So the point there being is these are very, very fine line and fine lines, but right now we, are, we don't even have the tools to measure for that. And again, these are not so hard to do, but the, the larger point there being is to bring this on a much higher level is so now we have all these laws that are trying to protect people, right? So we, in, in Europe, they have GDPR and I taught privacy rights uh, right after law school 20 years ago for a little bit. And then here in California, we have CCPA, California Consumer Protection um, uh, Rights, and then other states are ad adopting the same. We have biometric protection rights and Facebook already got fined. $550 million for violating those. But the, the larger point is that these are, aren't actually needed if and when and where we actually have the technologies to simply hold companies responsible for the externalities that are measurable already, right? And so even though things like GDPR, for example, that's a big pet peeve of mine, ask for the right to be forgotten. In the context of digital technology, that's just naive. Digital technology doesn't forget, right? The, the second it's being recorded, it's already shared a million times or maybe 4,000 times, doesn't matter what the number but uh, really what we do have as an unalienable right, in my opinion, is the right not to be observed, right? Because even just observing you, and we have all these examples in, in less friendly uh, countries around the world, even being observed obviously is changing your behavior, right? So you, you're doing different things uh, than you, that you wouldn't be doing if you weren't observed. 
right? So the point there being is as a human, you, you have the right of free expression, right? Regardless if you're saying something or if you're moving in a certain way or if you're allocating capital, those are all rights of expression, which should be okay until and when you actually hurt another human being or otherwise cause harm to society, which brings me to the point of, what is really the the internet and what is the World Wide Web? Those two thing, uh, different things, as you guys know, most people don't differentiate, but it's important to differentiate. The World Wide Web is a commons. It's a common good that everybody should have free access to. And that's why I got so excited about it when I was first exposed to that, because in my mind, and if you read like the early works of Tim Berners-Lee, the idea was that we connect human brain for brains for better co cooperation, right? Synchronous and asynchronous, and hence address all the problems that we all face, right? So we all face um, this terrible disease called aging, which we should have solved a long time ago. And we, we shouldn't allow certain entities to simply monopolize access to this commons, right? That's To me, it's kind of the real world equivalent of there's one company who just gets to put a fence around the Pacific and gets to filter that water. And that's the only water available to the planet. And you have to just drink that particular water and that particular flavor. No, it's a commons that everybody has equal access to. You can't monopolize that. You can't influence that. So this sounds all very esoteric. It's actually something very practical. As in, if you actually reverse this paradigm, all of these objectives can still be achieved. And actually, that's way more interesting, way more conducive to human flourishing. Again, from, from my perspective, this is not an esoteric or a kind of kumbaya approach. This is me talking as a technologist, looking at the technology being abused for the wrong purpose, right? The, the purpose of the technology should be human coordination, human coordination in terms of making all of us better off because it starts with information and then it translates to real world activity. Okay. I'm going to stop myself because you guys don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to, I want to ask a, a continuation on that around the question of decentralization. And then some of the, the points that you just, you know, mentioned, how do you police something that's truly decentralized then, right? How do you stop people from shouting? There's a fire in mm -hmm. the thing. Like what, what are some of the mechanisms like, is it built into the community voting? And if enough people say, this is down. And then if yeah. so, then how do you eliminate the bots from, from doing that? If it's truly decentralized, yeah. then don't we just kind of have to deal with some of the shit? Uh, yes and no. I mean, obviously we already have to right now, right? So, and you can be pseudo anonymous in certain circles. You got 4chan and so forth. And people can say whatever they want, but- Yeah, the rudest people are the ones that hide behind fake names and fake avatars, right? They're the ones that send the most vitriol. Exactly. That's why I, I mean, obviously Twitter, like the, I, I, I rarely go there because it's just this, this time suck, but the, no, but the, the larger point is you can simply observe those cases where it works. So look at the past, look at things like um, Silk Road, right? So like what? You, like Silk Road, like a dark oh, market, right? So you had a dark market where people were buying goods and services. They trusted that these goods and services arrived, right? Because these people had a reputation. They, they, they didn't have a government-issued credential. Right. I knew you got a call if your cocaine doesn't arrive. Yeah, Damn it, yeah, I so, sent you three Bitcoin. Where's my cocaine? Yeah, yeah <laughs> you, you, you simply looked at uh, that particular reputation score for that particular individual. And so you right. saw, well, he, he, he apparently... 
uh, did what he said he's going to do and send uh, the last 145 times. So, yeah, okay, I'll send him a Bitcoin and expect my wares to arrive, right? And so, yes, you need to build these reputation system regardless of any That's kind a really, of really good fiat, point right there. Fiat identity. So, but we need this within context and we need this within a qualification. So the, the missing layer is, is the layer for, of agency and attribution. So I'll, I'll break this down just a little bit. So uh, the, the main objective that, that we can't fulfill right now is you can't you don't get to send uh, set an objective when you enter the web what i mean by that is simply that if you make the most simple example so you open up your browser yeah so you're already in a particular environment then let's say your start page is google you enter one letter you already get a certain response right mm -hmm. so you, at that point in time you're already being influenced in a particular direction not of your choosing so you didn't get to choose let's say an objective is, oh, I want to get smarter or I want to get the best result for me on this particular question. I want to know what is the best cell phone plan? What is the best insurance for me, et cetera, and so forth. You, you don't get these answers. My expectation is that this should be the objective, that you get an actual factual answer that is actually vetted by qualified individual. And by the way, uh, if you read the original um, white paper of um, Backrub, which eventually was renamed to Google and it's, mm -hmm. it's um, IP of Stanford, so you can find it at the Stanford website actually still today. If you read this, if um, Sergey and, and Larry actually had implemented this, this is what would have happened. So you would have a reference system. So this is how any book on, on on any subject matter work. So you, you have a book, you, you look in the back and there's, there's, this also is, is citing certain individuals that he took his knowledge from and then you can go further down the the line to see, oh yeah, the, the person that he is citing also did their research. They also built on other shoulders of other giants, so to speak, but that's not what's happening, right? So the result that you're getting is 100% advertising. Google doesn't index the World Wide Web. Um, Google um, just provides you with an index of content that's specifically being created for Google. At most, Google indexes about 4% of the World Wide Web. It's probably closer to 0.4% of the World Wide Web. But again, people expect to run a search. That's actually not true. You're just running a query against uh, Google's database um, index, right? And that is 100% advertising. It's not 1% or not. It's not that what it's marked as. And, and you guys know this as much as I do. There's this whole industry that developed around it that we call search engine optimization, where people just create this content all day long. So if I'm a researcher and I, 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 I research on particular topics on, let's say, protein synthesis, I'm more likely to then Google and find like, let's say, advertising for some supplements, so then I can find research on this particular topic, right? I can't connect with other human beings. And as you know, .com was originally actually created for commercial content, and that's where it should be, right? And so we ha should have the separate layer that's actual information in exchange. And one last point to this whole Google thing, like a Google search um, costs about as much energy to power a light bulb for an hour. So one Google and, search, yes, and so power, and people are bitching about the power of Bitcoin. Ex exactly, what? and and most of that energy, about ninety five percent of that energy, is used to just run your profile against the best fitting advertising. <laughs> so it's really to yeah. benefit them completely. It's really not about serving us at all. 
Right. And so the, the larger problem to bring this on an even higher level, wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's not so much Google's fault, but it's it's the original idea that we implemented for capital formation. So, and we, we talked about this a little bit in, in the DAO show, but the point that being is, so any for-profit corporation uh, works on a particular algorithm. Uh, we call it shareholder maximization, right? So, and then within that particular algorithm, you, you adapt another algorithm. In Google's cases, I'll, I'll provide social engineering as a, as a service solutions to my clients. And then I, I sell the products, which are my users to the, these clients and let them manipulate them. So th that's their business model. So you can't really fault them for that. Albeit, I still think there's a better business model to be had if you were actually selling a real service to your users, if you actually had a different search engine you could, should subscribe to. Obviously, there should be many competing search engines based on who you are, based on what you do, right? You should be able to pick a search engine that's different if you're a hairdresser or a, a barber or a researcher. And you should have all these different search engines that are optimized for that purpose. But the most the important deep searching part, research abilities and the res resource that you can find if they're specific around that particular niche. That makes a whole lot of sense. Is there anybody doing that or do you see that becoming something? Yeah, so there's actually two companies that, that started uh, fairly recently, got funded very, very recently around these concepts. Um, and I've been waiting for that. I, I We wrote this outline literally 13 years ago to, to implement those principles because the way I think about this is rather simple. So whenever you engage with, with, with the World Wide Web, Right. Like it's like you living, leaving a digital footprint on the World Wide Web. Well, right now, this digital footprint gets to um, benefit the advertiser, gets to benefit the people that provide this network and curate the content for you. It should be the other way around. So your search should get better every time you engage with the World Wide Web for you. So the one little Skunkworks project that I'm funding right now is to simply make that, that aspect possible, where we will save complete content of your search for you. And that's how you start your search. Because a lot of the searches that you do is really recall, right? You you oftentimes you don't really search for something entirely new. You, you're recalling something, right? That's uh, how your memory works. And in many ways, the internet is kind of an extension of that. And so from there, then what you really do can do is you apply your own filter, your own knowledge graph to simplify this massively yet again. The content that I present to you should fit your current level of knowledge, but then should go one step further, the way that learning works. So if I, in simple ways, if I present you content in language you don't speak, i.e. whatever, Arabic or Chinese, and you don't speak that language, you don't understand the language, you don't understand the context. But the same is true for disciplines, right? So if you don't have the language for this particular discipline, so computer science, law, biology, and so forth, then you will have a hard time understanding certain concepts. That's why people use so many metaphors. But then also that's that's kind of the most kind of for our discussion, probably the most important aspect here is once you commit this particular uh, language to code at that point in time. So if you already conflate this on kind of the semantic level, you cannot actually achieve the, the proper ob objective. And that's what we're seeing right now for 99% of the technologies being developed on decentralized software solution, which most people call blockchains right so blockchains are really just the building blocks for digital vending machines anyway i'm going to stop myself here and we can unpack a lot of these ideas <laughs> you have a lot of words and and it's great listening to you because you're you're very well read and um you're 
your thoughts are not always in the mainstream. I did not understand yeah. how much power it took to do a, a Google, a simple Google search. I mean, it boggles my mind. How many light bulbs are we talking about powering? How many searches do they do a minute? Yeah. Billions. Yeah. Billions. And, and Travis, you're right. We're complaining. What we people are complaining about the energy that Bitcoin uses. Yeah, which is a total red herring, by the way, as you guys know, right? I mean, that yeah. has been debunked a long time ago by actual scientific papers. Right? That's just nonsense. Let, um, let's talk a little bit about um, about regulation then, sure. right? Because it seems to be on a path that it's a beast that only moves forward. You know, mm -hmm. I think that I think that I don't know if they actually met the the fulfilled the promise, but it was my understanding that the last uh, the Trump administration. Uh, for every new regulation, they said you had to eliminate a certain number of others. So the point mm -hmm. was that hey, if you're going to sign some new regulation, you've got to eliminate some other stuff that's too mm -hmm. burdensome. Um, that was a temporary moment in time because mm -hmm. the beast is moving forwards again. How do we as people, as the people, fight against this tide? It's not just as simple as the people we're electing because in many places they're unelected. Yeah. Um, so I got many answers to that. So let me try again. I'm sure you do. This. So, Wind them up and watch them go. <laughs> so, so as I, so we, we engage in, in a limited form uh, with government. There's a certain people high up in government that I brief on a fairly regular basis. I also engage with cybersecurity here in, in our country, in, in, in our part of the world, in, in the neck here to, to educate them on, on technologies, i.e. I'll make one example. For that, so uh, the, the and that's part of the the reason why I talk with such urgency because a I've been seeing this pro these problems for a long time and I'm so excited that finally we have the primitives to actually solve them. At the same point in time, we also by accident and that's actually more likely, unfortunately, could create the perfect surveillance state. So now we have perfect technology for facial recognition, right? So now we have police body cameras. So at that point in time, should a police uh, person be able to just identify you if you walk by? No, that should require court order, right? So, but we don't have like the, the technology yet to, to make that possible. So we need to develop the technologies to actually inject this request for to require this court order at this particular moment in time and not just merely vanilla say, well, we got the technology, we can use it because then we all end up living in a surveillance state. But back to your more general question about regulation in general, so the reason why I spent most of my time in, like supporting technologists and we, we are investing in technologies that kind of support freedom at the end of the day is because we, we think that technology will change this behavior. And the, the probably the, the most prescient example for that is the whole topic of currency. So we, ha we have all these implementation, implementation of currencies, which are unfortunately an extension of the state. We kind of uh, delegated the power to, to create currencies and they're specifically fiat currencies to the state. Um, kind of a mistake in, in hindsight uh, to, to begin with, but then we went one step further and then we delegated the power to create money to commercial banks, for example. So that shouldn't happen. The, the reason why this shouldn't happen is because 
if you need to use this to, to operate with inside of your country, then it's really a public good. It's not different from your street. So we shouldn't be able to delegate this responsibility to commercial bank. Actually, commercial banks create most of the money. So the whole discussions around the Federal Reserve printing money is actually entirely vacuous. So the reason that inflation occurs is mostly first to the asset. And that's mostly because you're creating the um, more money for the same asset, i.e. The, the most um, obvious one is the housing market being inflated 10.5% year over the year for the past uh, 10 years. And that's by the virtue of loans being so cheap and you get to create uh, money from nothing. So larger point here being us. So we, we diverted the, this option to, to create these values in databases to commercial banks. And we, we diverted um, this public good to, to be regulated, not by market forces, but to, to government officials in, in by extension that are then being lobbied uh, by individual companies. So mostly in this particular case, the banks. So now we got two main functions of money. The two main functions, the primary function of money is lending. The secondary uh, function of money is spending. So we, we're solving for the spending problem right now. So what I mean by that is, so there should actually not be a fee for you moving money around. And when I say should from a technology perspective, it's really simpler than what we're doing right now, which is basically free, right? So from a technology perspective, there shouldn't be a fee attached to that or buy it as a $2.4 trillion industry that's artificially being nurtured as kind of a parasite living on top of economies. And my, um, Michael Sandel, a Harvard professor actually points that out. It's like 85% of what, what these financial service providers do actually is not needed. Like 15% of what they do is, is about the right number that, that's being needed to facilitate economic um, activity at scale. Larger point there, though is so as far as like us, what, what we can do about this and we're all doing it to some extent and we all have been doing it for a long time, is just avoid the externality. So, so what are the largest externalities? So the largest externality is the um, the, the re reduction in purchasing power, right? And so the the point to to um, understand us that that the legacy system of storing money in databases under control of third parties, mostly mostly commercial banks, is all of that money is in a constant state of lending. You call your checking account, the bank lends it out, right? So you don't get to lend it out right now. So if that was possible, and it is possible right now, then at no point in time would you divert that particular opportunity to a commercial bank. Larger point there, though, is as a consequence, and I'm fast forwarding about an hour into my usual talk about this. So we've analyzed the initial implementations of payment systems and came away with, well, we are long-term investors. We're looking at these, are they viable in five to 10 years? They're not viable by themselves as uh, creating alpha, meaning payments should be free. So the next step, though, is, and by the way, some CBDC design papers have realized that two out of 40, uh, 56, um, have realized that and they simply stopped developing that because that means 30% less revenue for commercial banks if that happens. Because really, if you look at money in those big buckets, so the big buckets is the money that's kind of liquid available to you, we called M1, and uh, the Federal Reserve just stopped tracking it for a very particular purpose, quite obviously. So that's the money that's the, let's call it the payment money. The payment money doesn't really have to exist at stasis because if and when, and that's possible, again, from a technology level right now, then I can just move money, quote unquote, from M2, M2, 
So I can move it peer-to-peer, -peer, but peer-to-peer -peer in a fashion that, well, it's it's making yield right now as long as I, it's under my control and I move it into whatever you decide makes yield for you. And the, the time in between is negligible because these are all already bytes, you have to realize, right? So th this whole... Um, of digital money, et cetera, is kind of nonsense because money, 90% of all money is already digital, has been digital for decades. So the larger point is here that the new type of value entries are, are already cryptographic primitives under your owner control. So your typical digital bearer instrument. If when where all of these are digital bearer instrument, there is no reason to keep them under secondary custody who then gets to the privilege to lend it out or do actually make a yield, which is, a, is the current default, right? So people keep, uh, so uh, money market accounts and CDs just exceeded the, the number of uh, what people own or mortgages, which used to be the largest bucket. And so you're losing, you're losing purchasing power because now the, the interest that you're getting most is way below inflation, right? And well, so, in some, in some cases, in some places, it's zero or negative percent interest rates, correct? Right? Where they're actually yeah. charging you money to store your money, which is right. Insane. So, so we, I started this one based on the whole regulation topic, right? So, so, so to, the way to, to kind of express your will is a um, the, the most important one is just moving your physical existence, right? If you, you don't like the laws in a particular region, and we see this, we see this migration within just the United States of people just moving to Texas, moving to Miami, because they don't like the particular way they're being regulated within New York. Or and then they tend California. to go there and, and, and vote the same way that they did. They created the shit <laughs> on the place they're moving from. Right. Or, or they, like, like Joel, just leave the country in, entirely, right, and, and move to a state where, where there is no taxation, but then there's also no representation. All by it, you kind of represented your like unwillingness to comply with, with that current paradigm. It doesn't f fit your lifestyle, right? You're so, such a rebel, Joel. <laughs> Leaving to Puerto Rico like but that. So, 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 the, so that's the, the largest thing you, you could do is just, just move your body, right? So the, the second most important thing is you, you just don't engage with what the the government pr prescribes to you. It's like you have to use this particular instrument. And there's a huge fallacy that I hear on a pretty frequent basis, even from bankers. They tell you, no, no, you have to use the US dollars. That is only true for debts and government services. In all other circumstances, if you and I decide that Pokemons are money within our context or poker chips, then that's money, right? So money first and foremost is A, your language of value. And then secondarily, it's simply an agreement between two parties. So we just got indoctrinated into this idea that the US dollar is money. But that's just a kind of a default position that we assumed out of convenience. But obviously, if and when and where it becomes more inconvenient, i.e. you see this around the country and around the world and throughout history, it's more inconvenient because all of a sudden it doesn't fulfill primary function as pricing. At that point in time, people will just adopt the secondary language of value. And usually throughout history, that has, by the way, been used dollar form. It's I still want my to be, like I said, Pokemon and poker chips. Yeah. Maybe that's what we call so, this episode. Yeah. Pokemon and poker chips is the but, new money. But uh, but the larger point there the, the being, though, is um, so A, 
there's this there's there's huge confusion about cryptocurrencies. We really we're trying to force this um, round peg through the square hole, or maybe the metaphor goes the other way around. Doesn't matter. Um, but the point there being is, every smart contract and every token, every coin is a smart contract in and of itself is just a standardized one. Stands on its own merits, right? So it could change at any given point in time. But we typically think about this as being quote unquote immutable. Um, that's more kind of a metaphor that we'd like to apply to it. They're more immutable-ish, right? Because a lot of people agree it shouldn't change, but we obviously can just simply observe that it has changed, right? So we have Ethereum Classic, we got Bitcoin Cash as like the prominent example, but also the larger point there being is public blockchains are open source technologies. So the underlying stack and Ethereum is moving to proof of stake most likely in the next six weeks. So the underlying stack is moving. So with the underlying stack moving, the, the token you're building on top of it is also changing its nature, right? And so trying to actually subscribe certain ideas to it, that something is a utility token, a security token, a governance token, it's, it's an exercise in futility. You, you, you shouldn't even try that. Every token stands on its own merits and it might change. The larger point there is it comes back to what I said earlier about the law of requisite variety. It's important for developers to also recognize that. So you can actually kind of engage with like the, the legacy world and the, the legacy implementation of what we call legal system and government in a useful way by actually enforcing the negative um, externalities that these um, systems are trying to avoid and actually much better. Right? So if, if you want to tax certain behavior, if you want to penalize certain behavior, you can just build this into the currency. And we're discussing certain implementations with local governments right now. So if you're getting government subsidies, like, let's say food stamps, and we are discussing for California here, this thing called CalCoin. Yes, if California doesn't want you to buy alcohol and tobacco with it, we can build this into the smart contract system for these food stamps, which for all intents and purposes, are just look like dollars to, to the merchant and the merchant doesn't have to know that, that you can't buy alcohol and tobacco with it. it would just not work, right? So, but the larger point there being to, to move this back is the best thing you you can do is just empower yourself, which 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 starts with learning and then adapting technologies that actually make you independent from all these constraints. Because at the end of the day, like we kept a lot of these regulations in in place because there are beneficiaries um, behind them, right? And if the beneficiary is no longer you, then you should have the option to opt out of it, right? So no tax was ever meant to be permanent, right? They were all implemented uh, uh, for a certain purpose for a particular time, but then were made permanent. Just like there's really, really bizarre examples that exist in, in this country, like the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, uh, people don't know that there's public companies filing this paperwork. They never actually created um, um, an entity that looks at this paperwork. There's paperwork being created for no reason. And the, this whole industry that evolved around taxation shouldn't exist. There's no reason for this on a, on a technical level to exist. It, it's just a parasitic system sitting on top of economic activity. Right? And um, from a technology perspective, there is, again, no, no reason whatsoever to exist. So, so for me, technology, uh, the purpose of it is to make us more free, to, to give us more free time. So, so we invented these things like jobs and, and, and things of this nature to be at an office for, for a certain period of time, only fairly recently throughout human history. 
that that is very new introductions to to hum, human sapiens for for mm -hmm. most part of um, the existence of our species we have been self-sufficient right so we have been running around in the prairie taking care of our relatives and so forth we only settled down like some 10,000 years ago and then over time we, we started to, to develop the these rules and so forth but now we overbuilt right it's kind of the the parasite has taken over the the ecosystem and, and uh, the, what we see throughout nature and throughout states and history they will eventually collapse on, under that ballast, right? So what, if half of the country is busy spying on the other half, taxing the other half, th that's not sustainable, right? So th that's why the Soviet bloc collapsed um, because you can't do this type of planning at scale. There's no incentive system for people to be productive. So larger point there is, we should all work towards self-sovereign sovereignty in some shape or form, not, but not necessarily forget that we have a responsibility to humans at large in societies. Because from my perspective, if the people around me are better off, I'm also better off. Right? I'd, I'd rather be around people that, that are happy and healthy than around people that, that are starving. And I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd that I, 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 I live here in Orange County. If I drive, drive up to Los Angeles and now there are 10 cities at the side of the road. And um, most people probably know what's going on in San Francisco. People are moving out because it's so unbearable just to walk on the street because you got such a homeless problem. That's absurd. We are an incredibly rich country, right? So why, why don't we focus on just fixing these basic problems? Well, but you would think at some point people would make a connection between the officials they elect and the results, but they don't because they keep uh, electing no. The same, the same people that no, enact these policies. No, you don't elect anybody for anything. So what, what I mean by that is, so uh, it, it's a false choice, right? It's kind of mm -hmm. telling you, hey, do, do you want a red bucket or you want a blue bucket? You but you get, get a bucket either way. I want you a get a bucket. I, I wanted a rainbow bucket. What, what, right. what happened to rainbows? No okay. rainbow bucket for you. So, you get red or blue. So I'm, I'm, I mean, we, we've run this experiment long enough for now to know, uh, for now, uh, to, to know that the most popular person is usually not the most qualified person for, for a certain condition, right? So uh, we should just uh, conduct the same way we conduct anything, as in, hey, you need to be qualified to do these things, and you get a position based on your qualification, not, not based if a lot of people like you or if you're able to raise the most funds and manipulate uh, the most people through social media. Well, that, almost that, like selecting a jury. I've always thought that that seems to be a better way because it's like a lot of these politicians – there, a lot of them crave power and they're, they're just, they have these personalities where they want this power and the control. Yeah. And it's like, we don't need those people like the altruistic empathetic people that would probably yeah. be much better and more qualified. They never run just like you said. So it's like, yeah. maybe they need to be selected like a jury selected. Yeah. And the thing is we should be voting on issues, right? I don't care what person is executing. I care about certain issues. I want the right. environment to be clean. I want the, the roads to, to be um, fixed uh, and, and certain things. And I should be, able to vote on these and that should that should really be a duty on a daily basis maybe on a weekly basis i, I should be able to just vote right so the first thing that, that we put on a quote-unquote blockchain or decentralized software solution is voting and then but voting on issues as to, do you want to see these things in the world should so banks be able to create money or should they not be able to create money but by their own that's the rainbow so, bucket right that you're right. talking about and i yeah. i think it's like this is like i know i have 
one foot over here on the left and there's certain things yeah. that, that I left lean on and there's yeah. certain things that I right lean on. Yeah. And so when you kind of stand here in the middle like that with a foot in both grounds, you can see the shenanigans that are being yeah. pulled a lot clearer. And to me, I, I see all of these things actually much simpler. So I, I don't really think that nation states and governments have much utility um, to, to, uh, to in, in context of the problems that we face as humanity at this point in time, right? Because mathematically, we are on a trajectory for, of extinction. And mathematically, if you just look back throughout um, our history of the planet, 99% of all species have been extinct. And, and we have been around only for a very short period of time, but we're on a really really bad trajectory because we created all these externalities that a lot of them have to do with human economic activity a lot of them but the, a lot of them also have to do with, with just misinformation right so that you're being misinformed about the state of the world and that comes back to what we were talking about earlier it's like uh, uh, i was telling joel that the belief that the world is flat is increasing right so that and that's utter nonsense, right? So the point that being is we have the technologies to actually look for quote unquote truth because we, we can all agree on certain things, right? So we can all agree on basic factors. We have to breathe clean air. We have to drink clean water. Um, there is a certain environment around us that is fairly fragile. And, and yes, climate change is the real thing that can be measured. There's real world physical evidence for that to be had and so forth. And those are the things that either we, uh, we address as a collective or we just all die, right? Because it doesn't matter if, if one country stops polluting and everybody else keeps doing it. At some point in time in the fairly near future, we'll reach a tipping point and we just all die. And um, I'm honestly not afraid of dying, but I find it incredibly boring. So that's just not a, not a thing that I'm interested in. And in my mind, technology addresses scarcity. And the, the, the ultimate scarcity is just your longevity. And we can, in principle, fix that. We, we have proven that in the 40s, that in principle, we can fix that. And we can point towards like real evidence right now. You have cells that do not die, right? We call, them, unfortunately, most of these cells right now are cancer cells. But in principle, we can reverse engineer that. And that's what we should put our energies towards, right? We shouldn't put our energies to, towards things like advertising or we should penalize everything that goes towards like stealing someone's attention towards something that doesn't benefit all of us as long as this threat exists. Well, I, you know, look, there's a lot of great content here and um, I think you're going to have to come back again as, you yeah. know, as your thoughts I, and, uh, evolve as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, the reason I talked with such urgency really is where, we are so close to this precipice and in a lot of different things. A, the thing that I mentioned earlier, we're close to the precipice where by accident, we will create perfect alien states all around the world. So where, where, every one, where every movement of your body and every movement of any of your funds and any thing that you ever voice will be surveilled. And that's a world I'm not interested in living in. And um, at the same point in time, we're also super close to just ruining our environment 
forever, which is facilitated by simply this polarization, this artificial polarization, again, which is an externality. It's all those KPIs that I mentioned earlier. It's an externality of capital formation. And that's where the de uh, decentralization, and this comes back to our first podcast, the decentralization of capital formation is the most important aspect because it can account for these externalities because you actually align interest for, uh, for all stakeholders within the network. And we need to do that. So we need to defund uh, these parasites that live on top of that system, right? So that people that work towards the actual solutions to problems get to benefit from working towards the solutions of the problems that there's no extractive element. So there's no, no Uber taking 25% out of what you make from, from driving around there. There is no Google, no Facebook stealing 90% of your time by just showing you nonsense that you didn't have intention to see in the first place and so forth. So, so we need to start penalizing these. And obviously, there's a lot of good efforts underway to, to mitigate those. And we need to shine a light on those. And um, some, sometimes that light is shown by number go up, right? So cryptocurrency value go up. And that's for me, this is like waving the flag. And it's a good idea. And everybody just being able to understand basic principles, i.e. What, what is a digital bearer instrument and can I actually like technically control my own funds and starting with money and then going to things that are more complex. But um, unfortunately, again, it comes down to the fact reality doesn't have an advertising budget. So 99% of the information you find online is just uh, like guided information uh, trying to convince you of some nonsense. So the like uh, I'm in the fortunate position that we, we get to look at all of these solutions and we use kind of the sustainability uh, framework of, hey, is the technology viable as a technology, as in is it better than the previous technology, but then also is it viable in terms of the business model that it employs. And so that's why I was telling you, I'm keeping a kill list of all the business models that, that we like to see extinct, which is actually a very interesting exercise to do because I simply want to see all those data brokers go away, right? So anybody who is stealing your attention, I just want to see go away. And go, go away will fund technologies that, that, will, that will account for these externalities and empower people to go after them, right? So that you fight fire with fire. So when if you like constantly being bombarded by Equifax experience and so forth and, and, and them then targeting you with some useless cre credit card offering or whatever it is, that we hold them responsible for that, right? So, and... and Christian Kamir, a man who has no need to take a breath. Oxygen is is like he, I don't know what it is, but it's, you are able to go. It's pent up energy. As I said, to me, a lot of these things uh, I became kind of aware of more than a decade ago. And now I'm just so excited to see that we have the primitives. And so now I want to see these primitives being used and de deployed to, towards actually serving all of us, but there, there is urgency there. So we, we don't have time to squander, right? Uh, mm. We need to focus on the essentials and the, the essentials is at the end of the day, human free, freedom, happiness, simply being able to, to live a free life, right? And we have the primitives, we have the tools, we just need to understand these, right? And uh, yeah. Anyway, so as how I, would you like people to uh, further engage with you? Or which, since yeah. you're not on Twitter, like where, where do you want people to reach out? <laughs> no, I am on Twitter, but I usually jump in and just like link the last article that I wrote. So one, one of the most important thing uh, I think right now that uh, comes back to um, fixing 
human agency and attribution. So people usually call these identity technologies and uh, digital identity. These are nonsense terms, right? So these are metaphors to describe usually profiles. Uh, but the larger point there is um, what I'm trying to do right now is I'm I'm herding cats with different interest groups and different working groups like the Decentralized Identity Foundation, the Ethereum Foundation, and, and other organizations to give them the tools. And by tools, I mean simply the language to develop the technologies. Because you start on, on just the language level, like you and I deciding, okay, this is how things should work. And then we implement it in code. If you don't have the, the language to describe what you're trying to build, you can't build it, right? And that's that's why we analyzed most like, quote-unquote identity solution and realized none of them are identity solution, right? That's a whole different discipline. Um, so what you can find right now is uh, I published this article, uh, republished an article, but relatively uh, recent around um, identity technologies. Uh, I call it um, taking the red pill, I think. And, and this, uh, this links back somewhere to a GitHub library where we started developing the taxonomy to be able to then deploy these technologies. Because unless we fix that, anything else doesn't matter at this point in time. So we need to fix the development of these agency attribution pools. So to, to re what I call revitalization economy. And so this will give uh, developers the simple tool set, the simple language to actually write white papers that can actually translate into viable code for these technologies. Because right now, every analysis that we did, and we, we made a few investments around the space, we made investments in biometric onboarding and things like that. But most of these um, solutions double down on the mistakes of the past. So uh, the, the, the one takeaway there is you can never again, store personal identifiable data in databases. We will invalidate all of these systems. We'll actively go after all of these systems that do that. You cannot protect databases. That's impossible to do. And so, yeah, so take away there, yeah, so um, the long, uh, there's a shorter version on, on Forbes somewhere around the topic of identity that I published some time ago. And I would say just go to his, go to his Hacker Noon uh, page, yeah. hackernoon.com slash U slash Kamir, K-A-M-E-I-R. And he's got a lot of great articles on here. And we didn't even, we didn't even touch base on our favorite topic, NFTs. <laughs> Like that, I also want to ask some stuff around that, but we, we, we got so many words on this one. We're going to have to have you come back I and know. chat about your thoughts on NFTs. Good, sir. We're going to be like, come here, come here. <laughs> well, any, any time it's always, always fun. And as I said, for, for me, the, this is all about just making better mistakes tomorrow. So even like, that's why I have the disclaimer on every article. It's like, Hey, if you have better ideas, please let me know. That's the purpose. I, I don't need you to like the article. That's not the point. I, I want to share my thoughts for actual peer review. So if I'm wrong, I want to know about it sooner than later. And so then I will change it. Right. So that's why the disclaimer yeah. on the bottom says, uh, Can you imagine that people actually changing their opinions based on new information like that is such a novel idea. So many people should adopt yeah. that philosophy. Yeah. I, I try not to have beliefs. I try to have a thesis and try to invalidate the thesis. Right. So that, that's very kind nice. of our that job. Very right? scientific of you, good sir. Uh, well, that, that's how you get out of bed every morning, right? Because, I mean, you, you, you can ignore gravity, but it will always fall flat on your face. That's kind of my basic philosophy, right? And on that note, the gravity of the situation will end here. So uh, thanks, Christian, for coming on again and Anytime. enlightening us with your thoughts. We appreciate it.
if you want to go back and listen to Christian's previous appearance on the show, it is episode 194, badco.in forward slash 194. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And as I said before the interview, uh, Sir Lord Travis, the great, the inimitable, the fabulous is back on the island. Welcome home, sir. Sir Lord Travis, the great. Oh, he of greatness and things and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's been, I tell you, it's been, a, it's been a deal trying to get electricity squared away. That finally got turned on. I got here. The water wasn't on. So I contacted the water company this morning and they're like, oh no, they came out on the 15th. And I was like, well, my water's not on. And they're like, well, go to the water main and there might be a little faucet handle you can turn and turn it on. And I was like, oh, really? So I contacted the previous owner. I'm like, where the hell's the water main? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he sent, he literally sends me a picture with like an arrow at the front of the house. And I was like, oh, so I walk out there, I see it. And I go, oh, man, I got to open up that. And I was like, oh, no, I don't. There's a, oh, there's a little faucet knob right here. And I go, and I hear the water coming in. I'm like, yay, I can flush toilets again, which is really uh, what you need. Yeah, which is thrilling. So, uh, yeah, what else we got? We got anything? Man, I tell you what, today was kind of like moving day for real. It's like getting stuff set up and organized. And I went to T-Mobile and got a, um, actually cut out T-Mobile. Went to my service provider and got myself a, a portable hotspot thing so I can have some 5G. Which I think it seems, so hot. Yeah, it seems, it seems better to have the hotspot as 5G and not have the 5G in my pocket because I, I like my balls. I don't know what... <laughs> The, the micro the micro waving of my balls is going to do if you like keep a phone near there with well i mean you know you've had your kids it's cheaper than a vasectomy yeah that's true but i like my balls they're really nice <laughs> if you like travis's balls too then give us a call on the bad crypto but I know good crab balls <laughs> <laughs> or or don't call us about that call us whatever you want the bad crypto hotline phone number is 1708-885-9030 or shoot us an email to bad crypto podcast at gmail.com thanks for making this show one of the top crypto shows in the entire world we're coming up on our fourth anniversary here this month i can't believe it and we're glad that you guys are along for the ride thanks a lot for listening yeah we really appreciate you and i just really appreciate I had water because I was able to, I was able to finally flush down that corn. Right. I think I've been sitting there for like two weeks. And on that know, note, you got to go, corn. You're hanging around too long, corny man. Stick at Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. Had to get the corn joke in. Well, I, you know, I, th I thought there was an opportunity there. There's always an opportunity for a corn joke. I mean, you can <laughs> you can pull a corn joke out of, you know, out of your ass in there. Good. <laughs> Uranus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
well, I was like, how can I, how can I make a toilet joke and not have any corn jokes there? <laughs>